Okay, let's open up in prayer. Father, we come before you, Lord, and we just uh, lift this night up to you, Father. And know this is hard. It's a hard subject, and it's something that we don't want to go through trials, Lord. But it is for our benefit. It draws us closer to you, Father, and you want to refine us and make us into the women of God that you want us to be. But, Father, I just lift up all of these women in this room. Father, I pray that you would... Carry us all through. Show us your faithfulness, your love, and show us what you're teaching us through the trials that we go through. But Father, you are awesome, you are faithful, and you are Lord of Lords and King of Kings, and we just praise your holy name and lift this night up to you that you would be over everything. We thank you for those who prepared the food. We pray that it would be a blessing to our bodies. And Father, I just thank you for this time that we have and that we can come before you, study your word, carry our Bible. What a blessing it is. Father, we just uh, thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so let's open our Bibles to 1 Peter 4, and we have seven verses, 12 through uh, 19. Somebody said to me after the teaching this morning, boy, you can say that much on seven verses. <laughs> I said, yes, I can. <laughs> okay, so 1 Peter 4, 17, or 4, 12. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. He starts with saying, beloved. God wants us to know that we're beloved before he tells us what we're going to go through. And remember that he loves us no matter what happens. This is Peter was saying this to his flock he was over. So, um, looking at the history of what was happening at the time, this is likely written around 64 AD when Caesar Nero, he decided that he wanted to burn Rome down. He didn't like it and he wanted to redo it. So he actually set Rome on fire and as the people were putting out the fires, the Roman soldiers went around and they were lighting them again. So this was a fiery time. Um, then he accuses the Christians of setting the fires. So they go and get the Christians, they hung them on crosses, and they burned them alive. So fiery trial, this is why Peter is talking about how strange it is to go through the fiery trial that you're going through. They were going through it. So haven't we all questioned God at one time or another why we are going through trial? We question his love for us and ask what he is doing. It just comes down to trust. Do we trust him? I want you to really think about that tonight and in your next quiet time and ask the Lord. And really ask yourself, do I trust God whatever I go through? First, we need to look inward and examine our heart, asking him to transform our hearts. For years I thought me getting hurt was to change my husband, that he should actually care for me, that not, I mean physically, like taking care of me, but that's not what God showed me. He has his gifts, my husband has his gifts, and that's just, he doesn't pay attention, it's just not him, but God, and it's nothing against him, he's a wonderful man, but he didn't see, you know, I was in a wheelchair for a while. He didn't see that I didn't have coffee, I didn't have breakfast, you know, the cats weren't fed, all these things. He just doesn't see it. So every time I get hurt, I was thinking, why doesn't he see this? 
He just doesn't. But God gave me this loving, caring daughter that made my coffee in the morning. She fed the cats. She took care of me. It was so sweet. And her twin brother thought, well, you're going to do it. I'm going to do it. So he got up early in the morning, added new grounds on the old grounds. And you know how that tastes. It's horrible. So my daughter had to teach my son how to make coffee. And it's that gracious moment that you have to go, yes, honey, thank you. (laughs) But it was bad. So they were so sweet. So God sent me friends and family at the right time. But the most important thing is that he is sufficient for us. And we need to not get mad at the people around us and realize that he's our all in all. So... My daughter and I have cared for each other through many, many things, unfortunately. When she was 13, um, well, let me go back just two little bits. So when I was carrying her, she's one of the twins, um, I was told that she had no kidneys. And it was amazing that I carried them anyway because I went into full labor at 19 weeks. So getting them as far as I could because they told me they would, I would lose them. So at 31 weeks, they came up with, she doesn't have any kidneys. She'll live about an hour. You'll be able to hold her, and then she'll be gone. So she was born. They, you know, they didn't x-ray her or anything. They didn't tell us. She only had one kidney. They thought she had two. But obviously, you know, she was okay. So when she was 13, she started uh, bleeding. And, uh, well, she was on her period. What happened was... Um, when her period started going, she was in all this pain. And I thought, well, I was in a lot of pain with mine too. It's just the thing. Well, one day she had had a bunch of friends spend the night and then we made them all go to church the next morning. That was our deal with any of their friends that stayed the night. They went to church the next morning with us. So that was the deal. Two of her friends came. Her father said, just deal with it. You're going anyway. She was in a lot of pain. So in the middle of service, it's like God, every time something big would happen, would say, something's going to happen. And I, he prepared my heart. Well, during this, the, I was sitting over there, and God said, in a song, he, the, the shelter of your shadow, the shadow of your wing, that God like, showed me that something was coming. Well, during the service, I can't remember if it was her or somebody who worked in the junior high, came and got us out of church and said, you need to take your daughter to the hospital right now. So we managed the kids and we got them all out and we went home. I took her to the hospital and um, they couldn't figure out what, first they told me she had a tumor in her abdomen. It ended up being an extra uterus. So she has, what she has is called Ovira syndrome. It's obstructed hemovagina and ipsilateral renal anomaly. She has two uteruses. They're not together. Most people who have two are together. Um, hers are apart. And then she has, this is horrible, she has two cervixes, two vaginas, and it wasn't all connected up. So when she started her period, all the blood from one side just emptied into her abdomen. So um, we have a lot of jokes. It's horrible. These jokes come in my mind. <laughs> But the poor girl has to have two pap smears. Can you imagine that? But anyway, so it all wasn't connected up. They figured out kind of what was going on. And the cool thing about this is that we're standing in the hospital, and there's all these doctors, and they're standing there with me. And 
one of their doctors in the group that we'd had the whole time we'd lived here had gone to a conference in Cincinnati. And she, there was a lecture by this doctor in Boston. And she thought, she looked at it and she thought, I am never, one in a million or whatever it is, girls who get this, I'm never going to see a girl in our practice that gets this syndrome. So she wasn't going to go. She goes to the conference. She gets the paper. She goes back to this big group of doctors, presents all the papers to them. And then three weeks later, we end up in the hospital. And one of the doctors says to me, they come with the paper and we're figuring out what she has. And they go, this is what she has. And they figure, oh, she's got two uteruses. That's not a tumor, you know, the whole thing. So he says to me, aren't you so lucky? And I said, isn't God so divine that he went before us and got this information for us? And behind me was a nurse and she goes, amen. (laughs) So, but you know, it's funny. We have these opportunities to give the Lord glory through anything. And somebody last study in the group said to me, sometimes our trials aren't about us, they're about the people in our lives. And that was my moment that God said, you are sharing that. So it's funny how everybody around us, you know, confirms what God wants us to do. But anyway, she had a temporary operation here and then was okay to go up to Boston. And we went up to Boston every year for six years. She had endometriosis really bad. She, he was the only one who was able to take care of her. There was nobody here. Every time we went to somebody here, it just was a fail. So God has taken care of her. He's taken care of her with this one kidney. He's taken care of her with all the problems she has for the glory of God. But sometimes it's not about the trial. It is a trial for you. But it's about somebody else, a loved one, your parent, your children, your husband, you know, and we go through it and it, it's hard. So those are things that we need to totally give over to the Lord and totally give over the people that we have and ask the Lord to, I mean, it was a lot of prayer through it. It was pretty off to, to go through, but she has just rebounded and she's healthy and she's, um, she's doing really well. So, but her and I really are good at taking care of each other through migraines, through everything. So let's go on to verse 13. But rejoice in the extent that you partake in Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. There is peace in trials and there is joy. You can find it in them. James 1, 2 through 4 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be able to be complete, lacking nothing. And then we studied earlier, 1 Peter 1, 6. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. I love Habakkuk Habakkuk 3.19. The Lord God is my strength, and he will make my feet like hinds feet, and he will make me to walk upon, upon mine high places. Do we trust in the Lord on those high places that he can keep us from falling? Do we really trust in him? Who are we praising when we get through a trial? Are we praising God for what he has carried us through? Or are we saying, 
oh, look what I've done. Look what I've made it through. It's about giving him honor and praise, whatever we go through. Is it through, it is through surrender in our trials that we learn to trust God. When things are really bad and we don't see an outcome, it's hard to trust. But God is faithful. He's, his ways are not our ways. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Our strength can truly only come from God. So let's go on to 14. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. Suffering in Christ's name shows that we are truly following him. And our testimony is evident to those around us. It is a blessing as we glorify him. Don't we see the world blaspheming him? It's constant, it's, it's accepted, and it's everywhere right now. Let's go on to 15. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, as a thief, as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. We read this list and we go, murderer, nope. Thief, nope. Evildoer, nope. And then we get to this busybody and, and it's like, you know, we all struggle. I struggle with this. And then I catch myself and I go, oh yeah, I can't talk about this. <laughs> so here's this big old list and here's this busybody in that group. So uh, it's hard. If we are suffering because of our sin, it is not for his glory. And it brings shame to Christianity. When we look at the stats on divorce, Christian to non-Christian, they are sadly similar along with a lot of other things. We are to walk away from sinful behavior and to speak up when those around us are dishonoring God. And I know that's really hard, but it's something that we should be doing, even if it is hard. Let's go on to 16. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. If we are suffering as a Christian, we should not be ashamed. We should glorify God no matter the circumstances. If we are asked why this is happening, that's our open door to share. Why we have peace even in the trials. And people will ask you how you can be going through something. And that's when you have an open door to tell them it's because of God. There's a difference between glorifying God for suffering and glorifying God in suffering. And what he accomplishes through it. The word Christian is only used three times in the Bible. Isn't that amazing? I thought it was all through the Bible, but it's only three times including here. Christians were first known as brethren, disciples, or believers, or those who belonged to the way. It was first used in Antioch in Acts 11.26, then in Acts 26.30 when King Agrippa tells Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. Christian identifies with Christ. Sadly, these days, many people call themselves and identify with being a Christian, but do not follow his teaching, and they don't follow the Bible. I was designing a logo. I was a graphic designer, 
through my career. And I was designing a logo for physical therapists. They were Christian. It was called Hands-On Physical Therapy back in the 90s. So, and as a Christian, they wanted something subtle in their logo. And I thought, what better? It, it was funny. I was playing around with it, and I placed my hands like hands-on. And I thought, what better than the ichthys? You guys know what the ichthys is? I have a picture. This is the ichthys. Does everybody recognize it? So what's fun about this is that, um, uh, let's see, let me get down to my, so um, the ichthys or the fish symbol was used by early Christians to identify themselves as followers of Christ. Ichthys is the Greek, Greek, ancient Greek word for fish. The Christian fish or Jesus fish symbolized Consist, symbol consists of two intersecting arcs tracing the outline of a fish. It is said that it was used because they were persecuted. The church was persecuted. And what they would do, it was a secret symbol before them so they could identify each other easily. And what they would do is one person would draw an arc with their foot. And if the other person that they were talking to was a Christian, the other person would complete the arc. So, if you drew an ark and nobody drew the rest of the fish, you knew that they weren't a Christian. So, this was a way that they could communicate and feel safe because they were being persecuted. So, I thought was, that was pretty cool. Um, the Greek word for fish, ichthys, also forms the acronym Jesus Christ, God's Son, Savior. Isn't that really cool? Okay, let's go on to 17. For the time has come for judgment to begin in the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Regarding suffering, God uses suffering in a positive way to purify us. But those who don't obey their suffering in the end will be greater. I would rather be reproofed than to be sentenced to the fiery judgment that it waits awaits the God, ungodly. Proverbs 12.1 says, Whoever loves instruction loves knowledge, but he who hates corruption, correction is stupid. Which I thought, wow, that's pretty direct and to the point, isn't it? So, in 18, Now if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Peter takes this straight from Proverbs 1131, and that's how I found Proverbs 12.1. I was reading around, and I thought, oh, that's interesting. So he does take it from that text. And I started looking it up in different Bibles, because my Bible, I thought, is that saying the same thing? And sure enough, I looked in a bunch of different translations, and yes, that's what it says. So we received a free gift, and there is nothing we can do to earn that gift, but our, but our life is a journey of laying down our sin and dying to our flesh. Following Christ is a daily decision. It's not always easy. And that's why Peter quoted this verse as a reminder. Trials are not easy. And that's why Jesus said in Matthew seven fourteen, Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Let's go to our last verse. Number 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good. 
as to a faithful creator. Peter again states that those who suffer according to the will of God, because not all suffering is the will of God. Somebody recently asked me to pray for them because of their circumstances and the consequences from their sin. I prayed that God would use their suffering to draw them closer to him. But as I was praying, I felt like God told me not to pray for deliverance for them. It is better to learn from our sinful misery than to escape it. The ancient Greek word translated commit is a technical one used for leaving money on deposit with a trusted friend. Such a trust was regarded as one of the most sacred things in life, and the friend was bound by honor to return the money intact. It is the very word Jesus used when he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When we make the deposit, we get a dividend of blessings from him. We can know this is a safe place. Who else is more faithful to be entrusted than who him who created you. So when I was, when Claudia and I talked about me doing this lesson, and then I had COVID, January was COVID month for me. And I was thinking I'm not going to be able to do it. I'll stand up here and cough through the whole thing. And you know, you get sick and you think I just can't do this. Well, it's funny how God kept on, you know, through my feed, through different things, through books, kept on giving me the same message. So I'm going to read you some of these things because they're really fun. Well, not fun, but they're, you know, meaningful. God didn't remove the Red Sea. He parted it. God doesn't always remove your problems, but he will make a way for you to get through them. Sometimes God will break your heart to save your soul. This is a Elizabeth Elliot. I am not a theologian or a scholar, but I am very aware of the fact that pain is necessary to all of us. In my own life, I think I am honestly say that out of the deepest pain has come the strongest conviction of the presence of God and the love of God. Another one is Thomas Watson. He said, Christianity... Christianity is not the removal of suffering, but the addition of grace to endure suffering triumphantly. And then the last one is Oswald Chambers. It is one thing to go through a crisis grandly, but another to go through every day glorifying God when there is no witness, no limelight, no one paying the remotest attention to us. So, one of the things... um, we can learn a lot from the examples God has given us in the word. Let's look at some of the saints who suffered and what they said through their trials is very telling. It's helpful. So Joseph, he was treasured by his father, but his jealous brother sold him into slavery. And his path in Egypt was not very pretty. He got falsely accused. He got thrown in jail. He was told he was going to get out and then he didn't. So he spent years in jail. So he was blessed. I mean, he was faithful to God and, you know, faithful in his walk. And God prospered him in many ways. Um, In um, Genesis 45, 7 through 8a, he says, And God sent me, when he's talking to his family, And God sent me before you to preserve a prosperity, I can't say that, posterity for you in the 
earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. So he gave glory to God in his trial. God had a plan. Joseph glorified God and was lovingly restored to his family. Let's look at David next. He was pursued by Paul relentlessly, but he remained faithful to Saul as his king and trusted the Lord for the protection. In 2 Samuel 22, 2 and 3, he said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, the God of my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my savior. You save me from violence. And I love what David said in Psalm 36, 5 through 7. And I had talked about this earlier. Your mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the great mountains. Your judgments are great deep, O Lord. You preserve man and beast. How precious is your loving kindness, O God. Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. So I've been reading through and I came upon Esther recently. And um, we're shown how um, she was chosen um, um, by God to stand up when her life was at risk. Um, But we're shown how the Jewish, Jewish people were protected and preserved by the gracious hand of God from the threat of annihilation. God disciplines us, but he does not abandon us. God uses ordinary men and women to overcome impossible circumstances to accomplish his purpose. If she goes before the king uninvited, it costs her her life if she's not in his favor. And she knows this. So this is when Mordecai says to her in Esther 4.14, Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. So she raises up to the occasion. She asks her maid, and she asks the, the Jews in the city to fast for her. She fasts, and everybody else fasts. And this is, a, this is knowing that this is a process of uh, purification for her. So she was faithful, and God delivered them. So Job, I'm in Job right now. And uh, Job says, Shall we indeed accept good from God, and shall we not accept adversity? In James, it refers back to Job. It says, James five ten through 11. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Honestly, I struggled reading Job. I would read through the whole Bible and I would get to Job and I would skip over it because I just didn't want, I mean, honestly, it was like, okay, I'm going to read Job and I'm going to go through a trial. And it's not been until recently that I found a richness and a depth in Job that I love. And even this morning I was reading and I'll read you that he's got this one bill, 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 what? Let's see, what's his name? Bildad. And, and Job says, you've come to me these ten times. Oh my gosh, who wants a friend who comes over and over to them? And you're going to listen to them. And that's what was funny about when I started in the church. I'd been here for a few years. And I've been through a lot. Anybody who knows me, I've been through a lot. And I've been through, in a boot, 
13 times since I've lived here. Broken, feed, torn things, you name it. And somebody in the church, after a few times of being in a boot, came to me and said, what sin are you doing? What are you doing to cause this, that God is doing this to you? And at that time, I didn't know what to say to them. Because it's like, I told them, I'm really clumsy. (laughs) But I was like, Lord, am I causing this? People look at you and they go, what sin are you doing? (laughs) You know, but it was just somebody who was young in the Lord. But this is Bildad. He comes before him and they're all accusing him. And this is Job's answer. For I know that my redeemer lives and he shall stand at last on earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know that in my flesh, I see, I will see God. So he knows who his Lord is and he's comfortable with answering whatever comes my way, I know that God is my redeemer. So I thought that was really cool. I am in Job right now and I am enjoying it. So, okay. Um, Let's finish up with Stephen. So Stephen is a hard one because his death is just so hard. He is taken before the council. He's accused of blasphemy. Um, He goes back and he takes them all the way back through Abraham, through Joseph, through Moses. And then he says in Acts 7, 51 through 60, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. So do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven And saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Paul testifies in Acts that he was the young man here, which brings us to Paul. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10 Paul pleads three times with the Lord to relieve him, but he is answered, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities than the power of Christ, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distress distresses for Christ's sake for when I am weak then I am strong we could talk all day of what Paul endured and all the hardships Paul went through I know that God used him in a mighty way through all of those hardships there are many others in the Bible who endured many trials we are not to be surprised by suffering or are we to be scared of it we are to rejoice because we partake with Christ 
It makes us depend on him and it draws us near him. As we see his faithfulness, we learn to trust him through our trials. Be purposeful. Look and ask God what he's doing through it. You don't want to go through it again. (laughs) If you try to escape, you're going to go through it again, right? So never think you are being punished. Jesus took all of our punishment on the cross, and that has been paid. So don't think when you're going through a trial, why is God doing this to me? Why is he punishing me? Jesus took care of that already. So, and last, remember it purifies and humbles us for his use. So, okay, ladies. So, thank you. Let's go before the Lord again and lift this night up to him. Father, we just thank you for your your word and what you teach us through it, Lord. And it may be difficult, but Father, you are so good. You are so faithful. Lord, I pray that we would trust you more, that we would come before you and lay our lives at your feet, that you can do your will in our lives. Father, I thank you for all the ladies here. Father, I thank you for them coming out and being faithful. You are good, and you are 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 so, um, your word is so deep and so enduring, Father. We just thank you that you have given us this time to study. And Father, I pray that you bless us with sweet fellowship during our small group times and our time in fellowshipping across. Father, we thank you and we praise you and we ask that you bless the rest of this evening. In Jesus' name, amen.